This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. Metron Garage is a company designing unique garages, condos, and other structures specifically for the auto enthusiasts. They've got eight models to choose from, including two-story options, which I think is super cool, while with a very modern look and feel to them. And they come in all sizes, and they're fully customizable. You can check out them today and start specking your own ultimate garage at metrongarage.com, where you can request a catalog or talk to someone to learn more. So be sure to check it out. I just want to give a quick thanks to Euro Classics for sponsoring this episode. Euro Classics is all about collector cars, from servicing your new BMW M5 to prepping your Porsche for the racetrack to executing a total restoration on your favorite classic. They do it all from routine maintenance to performance upgrades to appraisals and everything in between. You can learn more about its owner, Dale Oaks, by listening to episode number 65 of this podcast. And you can find Euro Classics in the Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana service area and online at euroclassics.com. Classics, C-L-A-S-S-I-X dot com. Hey, it's Greg Stanley, and we are going to review, as we do every month, trending cars available now, but this time it is for RM Sotheby's Open Road August sale. And like most of the time, Ramsey Potts is joining me. How are you doing, Ramsey? Greg, how are you today? How are all your listeners? This is really fun to be able to not only interact with you, but I get to see your beautiful smiling face. <laughs> Ace this time, Gregory. Well, don't zoom in. <laughs> and for <laughs> okay, those of you who are only listening to auto audio, please go to the YouTube channel and you can see Ramsey's beautiful face with his fedora hat, as well as his Volvo and his Porsche behind him in his meticulously designed garage with all the posters and wonderful floor. You have a very nice garage, Ramsey. Thank you, Greg. And I will just add one little caveat, a caveat for you Latin students, that Volvo uh, a few weeks ago, turned 400,000 faultless miles, Greg. Wow. That's, I, I'm sure it's not a record because that's a Volvo, but it's probably a record for that model and for the time frame, if I had to bet. Yes. Nine years, nine months to the day, actually. So it has just been, look, it's not a very interesting car, but uh, it has, certainly has been faithful. But that's not why we're talking. I'm sorry, Greg. Go ahead. I'm just so excited. Well, you know what? And this is kind of fun. Uh, I'd like to kind of go behind the scenes here a little bit. You and I moved this call up a little bit and you were worried about us getting done in time. And if we don't get done in time, what's fun is Gord Duff might pop in on our call <laughs> and I'm just going to let it run. We're just going to let it run. Uh, he's going to jump in the call because we're actually recording the Monterey episode right after this. So if we run a little long, we'll just ask Gord spontaneously to join us. That would be actually a lot of fun. Yeah, and I don't know if he's ready for video, so we'll see. Okay. <laughs> All right, so we're going to review the Open Roads August sale, which begins on July the 28th. If you're online, you're watching us right now with the homepage at RM Sotheby's, and the sale goes from July the 28th until August the 4th. And like always, it's all about the cars. So we want to review some cars. I threw a bunch of them at Ramsey. So Ramsey, why don't you kick off with the very first one, and I'll drive a little bit so our 
viewers can see the cars we're talking about. Okay, now I believe, Greg, on my list you have, ah, uh, yes, there it is. Look at that, Greg, a British car. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. <laughs> the 1972 E-Type 4.2 liter uh, V, uh, now, I don't know, am I looking at this one? This is the V8 by uh, Beecham, am I correct? That we are. Yes. Am I reading the same one that you're showing? Yes, uh, you are reading the correct one. Uh, the Haggerty description was for a V12, so it is the V8 by Beecham. So here's what you've got, Greg. You, you have, and we all know about this, all of your listeners are fully cognizant of what is happening in the collector car community today. And some will tell you that it's a little bit younger crowd. I say that it's somewhat age agnostic, but it's the fact that people really like to use their cars. So we're seeing the, the, the resto mods, the outlaws, cars that have that traditional shape and style, but they have contemporary driveline and running gear. And yes, there is an organization outside of Eagle where you have to pay multiple millions of dollars to get your E-Type. And there's Beecham. And they have been doing this for a while. Greg, you know, we have offered to the world on a couple occasions in the last few years, the S-Types. Uh, with updated mechanicals and driveline, but this is something that is such a special opportunity, Greg. It's the beautiful lines of the Series 3 E-Type, which you and I have talked about this. Let's just call it like it is. At the end of the day, it's a little bit more of a grand touring car than a sports car. It's bigger, it's a little wider, and it's far more comfortable. But now you have all of the updated mechanicals and drive lines. There are things out there other than Camaros and Corvettes and Porsches that offer that unique combination of vintage style with contemporary mechanicals. This is I've frankly never seen one of these before, Greg. I wish I could see this one up uh, close and in person. Pretty special. I'm actually laying eyes on it for the very first time as well as we review this. And it is spectacular. When I first saw the stats, I couldn't quite put my brain around it a little bit. But now I understand because it is pretty much all brand new Jag underneath or modern Jaguar underneath. Yep. And I look at this black paint job. This black paint job looks like it was just... I don't know. It doesn't look real. It's so perfect. And it's just almost looks like it was just airbrushed on to the canvas here. It's just unbelievable. And I love the flared fenders. They look like they have a slight, you know, wheel well out turn to them, you know, a little bit bigger wheels and tires. It really makes it look uh, masculine mm -hmm. and strong and ready to pounce. <laughs> it is a Jaguar. Look at that all. power hump down the middle of that long, sensuous bonnet, Greg. That is... Uh... Wow, this is the kind of Jag you want to drive. And if you lived in Atlanta for 14 years, as I have, or I did, you would know that it looks like this was filmed at Chateau Alain. Which Very good, Greg. You do know your North Georgia community. I, would, uh, I was curious what you were going to say. That is clearly the beautiful, the lovely Chateau Alain, where they grow some of the best grapes for Muscadine wine. We actually had a little bit of their spring wine at dinner the other night. Uh, the Pano's family started that. They do a great job. Yeah, most people don't know. They're also the family, or they were the folks behind the Pano's racing team and Esperante. And I got, I could go way back with uh, Chateau Alain and Pano's. So yeah, buddy. Uh, super cool, super cool. Now, I do like to pull the estimates on this. This doesn't really apply for this car because this is, like we say, kind of like a resto mod. Uh, the estimate on this car is 175 to 225. But just when you look at 
1972 Jaguar trends, when you look at the, at the Haggerty valuation tools, uh, let's see, the last five years up 49.3%, the last three years up 54.6%, crazy numbers. In the last year, they're up 16.6%. So, you know, and I know we're going through somewhat of a collector car market boom right now. What's interesting is usually the Haggerty data, just because it pulls from auction results, you know, typically it's a couple months. Uh, it takes a couple months to compile and put it all together. Yes. So a couple of these cars that we're talking about today, they're actually flat when you look at year to date. Now give it six months and we'll see what the results are. So it's really interesting to see the one, the three, the five year trends on these cars and then see how they change over time. Uh, so strong performer in the marketplace, correct? Well, Greg, it has, but I think even now, I mean, listen, I certainly hope this is the case for the consigner, but the market for these types of cars certainly has manifested itself with the domestic product as outlandishly strong. So let's see what happens with this one. This is really a bit of a rare bird, but still that magic combination. Yes. And let's move on to the next one. Maybe what you might call a more I don't want to say pure, but a factory correct E-type. Would you say it that way? Yeah, I would. And isn't that interesting? You just made that transition, Greg, for those of your listeners who are able to watch this. Uh, you look at the lines on the Series 3, and now you go to this 65 Series 1, uh, sort of a, a later model of the pure original uh, covered headlight series one cars. And you can see the difference right away. Look at this car. A beautiful example I wrote an article, Greg, a couple months ago. I, I have a regular column in Jaguar Journal, the, the magazine for the club, and I talked a little bit about colors and how it's impacting value. We've seen a real difference in this opalescent blue and the opalescent silvers. We talked a little bit about it. The red interior with the contrast is a bit more popular, but I think this is just a fabulous color on the car. Appears to be a pretty sound example as well, Greg. Uh, oh, wow. We're looking at some great pictures of the engine bay right now. Yes, Greg. I don't think the engine was ever that beautiful, even when it came from Coventry. <laughs> that is really a nice example. Left-hand drive. Look at the toggle switches, Greg. Series one and all of its beauty. I'm a big Jag fan. And Enzo Ferrari famously said it was, I believe he remarked that it was known as the most beautiful car he had ever seen, which is really crazy because this time frame, he made some of the be most beautiful cars, period. You know, some of the Italian cars he was making at the time, the Ferraris, and just a wonderful, beautiful car. Now, the estimate on this car is 160 to 200. And when I look at the Haggerty trends, this is really fascinating because when you look at the Series 1 versus the Series 3, I just ran over some incredible numbers on the Series 3. And now we look at the Series 1, five years down 3.8%, two years down 2.3%. Not a big deal, you know, just not up, but down slightly. And then yeah. the last one year, they're up 4.1. So the way I read that, correct me if I'm wrong here, the series ones, they went way up at the peak, like in the way 15 realm. And I think that brought up the series two, especially the series three cars, they started to get appreciated more as the series ones went up in price. And so now the series ones have flattened from that peak, yet the series threes are still climbing. Is that the way you would read that data? Greg, with, with, with a caveat, I, yeah. I would add in there what we did see, and we saw this manifest itself at Monterey and Amelia. When you say Series 1, you're going back from those very first flat floor, outside bonnet latch, welded louver cars, 
all the way up to 66. Some will call the 67s, the one and a quarters. That was just us that called it that, not the company. And those early flat floor cars, say that five times fast, were seeing a significantly higher value trend than the later non-flat floor, non-outside bonnet latch, all of that stuff. So you got to be a little careful when you parse those series one values out a bit. But of course, a beautiful example such as this one will command a top flight example. It's the purest and most will say the most beautiful. Right, right. No, I do agree. And we've talked about this before. It might even be had it might have been the last open roads where we did cover the Jaguars. We did cover a series one, I believe. It might have been a series two because you like the fact that you could stretch your legs out a little bit uh, or a series one point two. So, yeah, it's a great car. Beautiful car. And I would just like to add one little caveat. Everybody in the Jaguar community hangs their hat on a comment that Enzo Ferrari made. Yes, we know he liked the car. But just so you know, Sir William Lyons also had a great comment. He said that the motor car is the closest thing that we as man will ever come to creating a living, breathing machine. Now, that's a man with some passion for design and style. So let's not all hang it on Enzo, okay? Let's not. No one's quoted me yet, so we'll wait. We'll see if I ever get quoted. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Greg. All right. The next one is this 1964 Porsche 356 C Outlaw. Yeah. Again, this is pretty interesting because, you know, we had the Jag Series 3 we mentioned earlier that's meant for modern conveniences. And now you have the Outlaw trend that has been very popular. Now, this one has an estimate of 125 to 150. Hmm. And when I read the stats on the RM Sotheby's website, it's pretty cool because it was tuned for spirited road driving and com competition use. And let's see, it was it has an engine that was rebuilt by the leading UK 356 specialist, Andy Prill, which I like Porsches. I'm not huge in the Porsches yet. I know who he is and I know that that's a big deal. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about this special 356 outlaw. That is a very big deal that Mr. Andy has uh, breathed on this particular car. Greg, I'm curious before I add my comments, what do you think of the black and red? You know, it's funny. If if it wasn't for the little red and yellow or red and white decal on the right, I don't know that I would like it. But I think the fact that there's more color elsewhere on the car and you have a red interior, I believe, it pulls it all together. It wouldn't be my first go-to for a 356, uh, but I think it pulls it together on this one pretty nice. I, I When I first saw the pictures of this car and the consignment notification, I thought, oh my, that's not necessarily my color combination of choice, but you're right. You have the same observation I did is when you, you contrast it with the red interior, and it appears to be almost the same color as those stripes. You've got the little Pegasus sticker on the side. It really does look, I'll say it rather menacing for a 356 Outlaw. Again, Mr. Andy's done the work on this. And Greg, it's just like the Jaguar Beecham that we talked about. I'll tell you that when I started with RM Sotheby's not quite five years ago, I do remember conversations somewhat along the lines of outlaw. We don't sell outlaws, but you know what? You, you appeal to your markets and the market has spoken with good quality outlaws. We offered one in Arizona a number of years ago. It did extremely well. For good examples such as this one, there is a passionate organization, a passionate uh, a crowd out there. And I think this one has a lot to offer. Look at the bucket seats. Really, 
what I believe is going to be a very rewarding new motor car for someone for spirited driving, as it says. I just want to drive it. I just yeah. think it's a fun one. And now I did pull the Haggerty evaluation trends. Now this would be for a stock uh, 356, 1964. So average value of those cars, $75,500. So that would be one in the condition three range. Uh, the five-year growth on this has been 22.3. So that's again, talking to the peak of 2015. Yeah. Uh, the three-year growth, 15.6. So they slowed a little bit. And then the one-year growth, 2.1 which is pretty impressive. You know, they're still growing just at a slower pace and will be interesting to see. It will be interesting to see how this one performs here in a few weeks. All right. Let's I think it's, I think this is the way to do this. You and I've talked about this, Greg, you have a choice. You can buy the car. Someone else has already baked in all the work or right. you slog away on a car and try and get it yourself. That's the way to do it. I, I think is just buy one ready to run. Now this next car is, looks to be mostly stock. So we've gone from a couple modified cars, uh, ironically European modified cars, which we don't cover a lot on this podcast to uh, this absolutely gorgeous 1969 Mercedes-Benz 280 SE cab. Now I will have to call out immediately, the color on this is fantastic. I'm not even gonna try. What would you call this color, Ramsey? Well, what, uh... Greg, I have to ask you, how do we describe it? I, I mean, just a deep, delicious, a deep, deep red. Is, it, is it like a, a, a an apple red, a dark apple red almost? Yeah, it is absolutely gorgeous. It's, I don't know that I've seen one in this color before. Then you also have the classic Mercedes hubcaps that have it in red body color as well with a black interior. Just beautiful, beautiful car. Uh, let's see. Espinosa. Those are not plastic, Greg, by the way. I'll just Those add are not that. plastic. <laughs> <laughs> and do you notice, Greg, in our last open roads, we talked about one of these with a low hood. Look at the height of the hood on that when you see that. Yes, this is a high hood version. So uh, it's pretty cool that we have two different ones to call out for 1969. Now, this estimate is 110 to 130. Uh, let's see, the average value from Haggerty is $89,200. And again, the five-year trend, 24% up. The three-year trend, 15.3% up. And the last one year, it's been flat. So that's not to say it's going to go down. One would love for it to go down so I can finally afford one. <laughs> but I don't think that's going to happen. I, I really, I'm counting on this color to raise the trends a bit, Greg. That's a beautiful car. I have shared this. I will continue to share it. And I want all your listeners, especially the ones that are at this phase of their uh, collecting where they're ready to enter the hobby. There are two cars that, in my opinion, make the best gateway drugs in the world. I'll ask you first, how many people are going to go with you? If you say one, I say get a 280 SL. If you say more than one and you want a backseat, then you get one of these 280 SE cabs. These are the best gateway drugs for car collecting, bar none, in my opinion. Yeah, they are beautiful. Well, let's move on to the next one. I might actually skip a few because there are a couple things I want to hear I want to get your opinion on at the end of this, but let's move on to the 1990 Land Rover Defender 110. Estimate is 75 dollars to $110,000. Tell us about this car. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this actual car. Are you? Not only am I familiar with it, but I've probably got 10 miles behind the wheel of that oh, one. Nice. And I got to tell you, Greg, I, the poor owner was with me in the passenger seat. I said, let's go for a run. And I was somewhat bucolic. And I'm like, well, you know, these things are 
tough and miserable. And you know, I didn't say that, but I mean, it's a Land Rover, right? It's not supposed to be necessarily a rewarding drive. So he has MSD fuel ignition. He's put a throttle body fuel injection, excuse me, I said ignition, fuel injection on this car, on this Land Rover. And I got in, I turned the key, it fired up immediately, and it settled into the most delicious little idle. And the fact that the throttle response is so instantaneous with the throttle body injection, just right there where the carb would be, Greg, I... I was actually a little sort of dumbfounded when I drove the car and I just started being giddy. And I'm like, holy cow, the throttle response. This thing is amazing. And he said, that's what I told you. And he was right. I will admit I went into it expecting very little. And uh, I actually asked him if we could drive a little bit further because it was such a nice experience. The suspension, the car was uh, refreshing a number of years ago by our friends at Car Cave in Belgium. They do a great job with these. I think this is the third one I've consigned coming from their garage. The suspension, the car top to bottom just was not ready to experience. And I hate to say this to all the Land Rover purists out there, but if I ever own one of these, I am bloody well putting that fuel injection in because it really changes the pleasantness of the car. Now to Haggerty Evaluations, this is pretty interesting. Average value, 35.5. Uh, now let's see, the five-year trend, strong, 29.6. Three-year trend, 28.1 up. And the last year, it's up 23%. So it continues that trend of sport utes, right? Everybody's yeah. going after the sport utes and the pickup trucks. That whole class of vehicle is on the rise because people realize these things are special. They didn't make a ton of them. Not a lot of them lasted. And uh, this is following the trends, right? Yep. Third one coming from these guys. Uh, this is coming from the owner who had purchased it from Car Cave. And the last one was white. It had a few more bells and whistles and it hammered uh, all in at, at $100,000. These are this is a really good example. And rarely do you hear the word Land Rover and extremely reliable, easy to start and run. But you just heard it from me with this one. Right, right. Yep. All right. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and skip to the 1972 BMW 3.0 CSI. Beautiful car. Yeah. And what I was reading about this is basically before the CS class, basically, BMW mostly focused on the high end. You know, that might be with a 507 and then the low end. And then they realized, you know what, we need something for the middle, middle high. Um, and this kind of fits the bill here. Very beautiful car. What can you tell me about this one? Have you ever driven one of these, Greg, at speed on the highway? Nope. It is truly an extremely rewarding experience. First of all, it's a coupe, so you have to love it. It adds a certain level of sportiness. For a car of its age, for a car of its genre, its on-road characteristics, just like the old advertisements say. Do you remember, Greg, the ultimate driving the driving machine? machine. It's not a cliche. I see where they came up with it. These are really rewarding to drive on the highway at spirited and somewhat rapid speeds. Of course, there's the CSI, the CSL, but the, the carbureted car will be everything you need it to be. It's a lot of fun to drive these. It really is. There's some real contemporary features in there, power windows. You have a lot that is offered in this car from this time period. Right, right. Yeah, it's a very beautiful car. I mean, classic proportions. Uh, now, when I look at the Espen on this car, it's seven, I'm sorry, it's 65 to 
And when I look at the Haggerty trends, again, we're, we're playing off of the 2015 year, but these continue to go up in price. As you know, all BMWs of a certain age, uh, actually just all BMWs <laughs> for the most part, have been appreciating lately, especially when you get into the 60s and 70s and even the 80s. So five-year trend of 96.3%. Wow. Three-year trend of 38.8%. And one-year trend of 54 So they have slowed. Uh, but they're still appreciating value. So if this, this, if this is a car that you would like in your garage, now's the time to really take a strong look at it. And this is a beautiful version to check out. Greg, the, the boot in that thing is actually quite voluminous. You can put in lots of luggage. Those overriders are, you know, before we got to the Malays years and they got to be giant uh, front bumper, rear bumper overriders. Lots to like about the lines of these cars. 1972. This is a good year. These are good times for BMW with these cars. Now, I am going to skip a few here, but we do have a 1993 Mercedes-Benz 400E AMG, which AMG is the key word there or the key phrase yeah. for that car. Uh, really nice one to check out. I do want to move to make sure we get the 1959 Fiat Abarth 750 GT double bubble Zagato. Uh, now, this one is what you would call a project. Uh, you can see the pictures now. It's actually on four dollies. Uh, it's not moving underneath its own power at the time, but what an interesting, innovative, beautiful, quirky little car. Wouldn't you agree? We talked about this. There was a double bubble at Amelia, Greg. I simply love these cars. Why, Greg? I, I know you don't remember, but... You could fit in it. <laughs> I, these are the smallest cars I fit in in the world. They're absolutely <laughs> incredible. And... They really give you that sense of what Carlos, Arba, Carlos Abarth was doing then in that, much like Colin Chapman, simplify and add lightness. He took a buzzy little four-cylinder, revved them out as much as he could. Everybody blows up these engines. Uh, they certainly did at that time. And he put on a beautiful body, Zagato styling. This is really a special opportunity it's a double bubble. The thing about this car, yes, it's a project, but there, and I spoke with uh, our colleague, David Swig, that consigned the car. There is so much that remains original with this car that are, it's not all that often that a car collector will get the opportunity to start with such original bones in one of these cars. As you can see with this one, they were made to be great race cars. They were used to be uh, as great race cars. Even to this day, they are giant killers on the vintage racetrack. Oh, I would love to be able to own one of these and race them. Those are the original seats, uh, the proper Zagato seats. This is this is a pretty cool opportunity for somebody, Greg. Yeah, and the estimate is thirty to forty thousand dollars. And I will have to say, you said all the right stuff. Like we had a a Boss four twenty nine barn find without an engine. Yeah. You don't want to buy that car if you don't have a Boss 429 engine, right? I mean, it's the hard parts that will kill you in a restoration. And the fact that this is largely, if not totally complete, is just the best way to start a project such as this. You can build it the way you want. You can build it back to factory. You know exactly what's going on in every aspect of this car uh, because it is such a complete car. And you got to love the double bubble, right? <laughs> I, ha I have a client that has three of these and He's built it for touring and he has an extra, Greg, 20 gallon, uh, maybe not 20, but I think maybe like 14, 15 gallon fuel tank behind the seat. So essentially 
there's a petrol bomb in front of you and a petrol bomb behind you. So don't wreck. But he'll tell me stories how, oh, yeah, I can go like 600 miles in my little double bubble all day. I don't know that I'd ever want to try and do that. But these are cars that in when they were new, uh, the owners had a lot of fun doing different things, modifying them. Obviously, this car was enjoyed on the racetrack. I, I just... I mean, look at some of those cars. Like you said, that 429, that that bent window Porsche with no engine. Uh, And here we have some original bones to begin with. I think this car is going to be one of the sleeper sales in this online uh, environment. It's going to blow right past that. I think it should. That's for sure. Well, when you look at the average value for a number three car at $109,000, and this estimates thirty dollars to $40,000, and yes, everything needs to be done for the most part, but everything's there. It's there. Uh, Quite a great way to start your project. Now, the five-year trend is up 8%. The three-year trend is 8%. And then interestingly enough, the one-year trend is up 11%. So uh, they are appreciating. I think, you know, Wayne Carini from Chasing Classic Cars, a previous guest on this podcast, he's in love with these. He had a couple of pretty interesting episodes about a barn find one he had found. Uh, so it's really cool, fun, special car. So I appreciate your time on this today, Ramsey. I did want to ping you. I'm going to stop sharing the screen right now so we can go to full screen so people can see your beautiful face and your beautiful cars. Um, I do want to ask you a couple notes here. Like I said, Gord might be popping in at any moment. Uh, I did oh. ping him so he can delay it just a little bit. Uh, but I do want to find out two things. First off, we're both headed to Monterey here shortly. Yes, sir. I want to hear... What are your sneaky five cars you think our listeners should be aware of when they're watching our auction, either live in person or live streaming? Sneaky car number one, leading the pack, you will see a beautiful blue Ely, blue Ely, E-L-Y, uh, with a cream interior, 2003. I should know the year I consigned it. Mercy Alago. But here's the trick, Greg. It's a six-speed, and yeah, we know what's happening with these six-speeds. People are paying banana money to maintain that shift-gate transmission. The thing about that car that I think it's going to end up being one of the sleepers that really just performs, it, it, it shocks all of us, is I was just on the phone with a client out uh, in Pennsylvania who has inquired about it, and I was just explaining, look, it's got 14,000 miles. And I would challenge anyone to tell me it's not 1,400 miles. The owner of the car is a passionate Lamborghini enthusiast. He has older cars. It's just an amazing automobile selling without reserve with an estimate of 225 to 275. Hence, what I believe will be probably the, uh, in my opinion, one of the, uh, the real surprises. Uh, I really, really think there's some neat, neat stuff out there, you know. I know you're going to call me crazy on this, but we have two different Ferrari 400Is. I'm not familiar with either one of them, but come on, Greg. See, look at that look on your face. You're like, what, a 400i? But tell me where you're going to get Ferrari V12 performance. Uh, that sound, you get a two plus two seating situation. I'm very curious to see both of them when I get out there. So that's sort of two and three uh, you know, I think there is also, you know, a 550 Spider that's now in the sale, and we really haven't talked much about that. Those are in demand. 
that one has some interesting history with it. Not an original engine, but a car that we know a lot about. Not everything about, but a lot about. I think that's going to do quite well. They're just great cars. And from everything I'm told, they really, really are special to drive. I don't know, Greg, I'll let you take number five. What do you think your number five surprise of Monterey? Well, I don't know. That's a good question. There's so many mega cars at the wow. sale. There really uh, are. You'll hear in our interview here shortly with Alexander, he actually, uh, in the Monterey Mega Special, I don't know what I'm calling it yet, but Mega Monterey, I don't know, but he actually called out those 400s as well, those yeah. Ferraris. You know, he was smitten by those, which is really interesting to hear two car specialists at RM Sotheby's kind of say something about those. You know, I don't know what my sneaky pick, I think the thing I love about, you know what, I'll tell you my sneaky pick. I will say the 1966 Shelby GT350 carryover car. Oh. And what's really cool about the Shelbys is you have an AC Cobra 289, you have a 289 AC Cobra comp car, you have a 1965 Shelby GT350, which is the iconic one. You have a 1966 Hertz Shelby, black with gold stripes, one of the 84 speed cars. And you don't see a lot of the carryover 66, which basically means it's a 65 for the most part that they put into 66. So in the tier of 65 and 66 Shelby Mustangs, you know, number one's the R model. Yep. Number two, right below that, most people don't know this, but there's four 66 Shelby GT350 350 convertibles. So those are 800 to million dollar cars. Those are- I did not know that, Greg, four of them? Four of them. Wow. Right below that would be the 65 Shelby GT350. And then right below that would be the carryover cars. Carryovers. Donnie Gould taught me a little bit about those, a little bit different dash. They have the later tack put in them, but it's all still all kinds of meat and potato Shelby under there. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious to see what that one does, because it does have an accurate estimate, which is definitely higher than your average 66. Yeah. Uh, not as strong as if you, if you can't get the 65, a 66 carryover is the next best thing. So. It's We had one a couple of years ago and I had a chance to drive it at length out in Monterey. A lot of fun. I'm not surprised, Greg, that you, in fact, picked a Shelby. Good for you. You and I both remain consistent in we our are. passions, don't we? Yeah. When you start telling me about Shelby's and I start telling you about Jags, I don't know what's going to happen. We'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll have to find something else to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me a little bit about your Monterey hack. So if you're headed to Monterey, I know you shared a great one with me for one of my clients. I don't know if we want to share that one, but yeah, tell me some of the fun stuff that you've figured out over the years that some of our listeners might want to know as they head to Monterey. Yep. So, uh, you know, I first of all will tell you right out of the gate, get there as early as you possibly can. Uh, I'll be flying into San Jose and then there's a thing called the Monterey Airbus. So if your folks don't know about this, because it might actually be a little tricky to get a rental car right now. I'm certainly having a tough time in my travels. So the Monterey Airbus goes from San Jose Airport and the San Francisco Airport. Take a look at that. I think it's like MontereyAirbus.com. And it'll take you. It's a nonstop all day long shuttles back and forth. Of course, you're going to wake up real early the first few days when you get out there if you're coming from the East Coast. But I really can't say enough to get out there as early as possible. And Greg... The one hack I'll tell you is not necessarily what to do, but what not to do. And that is that you have to swallow this pill. You simply cannot do everything on this calendar. It's virtually impossible. So plan on, take a look at some of their websites. Just click in Monterey Car Week events and you'll get local newspapers. There's a couple different websites that I've sent to clients and I tell them, 
Just pick them. Do you like Italian cars? Then you do uh, the Cortile. If you like German cars, you do Legends of the Autobahn. But you can't do both. They're at the same time. If you like the vintage racing, get out to the racetrack one day. Don't worry if you miss three other things because of it. You can go again next year. You really have to prioritize what it is you want to see based on your passions. And don't sweat it if you don't get to see everything else. Please come to our auction, all the auctions, as early as you possibly can and avoid the crowd so you can really enjoy the preview in a rather uh, more intimate setting. Those are probably my hacks and enjoy the great food. And oh, by the way, that is not an inexpensive week. Yeah. So plan on it uh, is the best I can tell you. Yeah, the other hack that uh, Julie from Haggerty shared, it will be on our upcoming episode, would be to check out the historic races prior, you know, on Wednesday or Thursday. Don't yeah. go Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And there was another one that I thought was pretty good. Anyways, you're right. You cannot do everything. Nope. That is for sure. Don't be disappointed if you miss some great stuff. You'll be back next year. And please make sure if you're going, you've already purchased your tickets for whatever it is you want to attend. And actually a great announcement we had. We have an actual Thursday night collection wow. that is absolutely stellar. What was it? 35 to $48 million in value, high, low estimate on just an insane, amazing collection, correct? It's it's otherworldly. It really is. It's one of those things that will make this particular Monterey. Uh, Greg, I think it's safe to say it'll probably be the largest automotive auction in terms of value ever conducted. I did a little math this morning, Greg. Uh, we'll have, I think by the time it's all done, I just did this for kicks and grins. I think by the time it's all done and said, the catalog will have a low estimate, a low estimate of $200 million. But just to make sure I was doing it right, I added up the low estimate, the first 18 cars, 170 cars, the first 18 cars have a low estimate of $100 million. And then you <laughs> wow. just keep going from there. <laughs> yeah, it's truly a saying. It is quite the spectacle. So Greg, that is it. That's insane, that kind of value. This yeah. is going to be one that will forever be marked in the history books. I hope all your listeners get a chance to be out there. Even if you just come for one night, be a part of it. It's pretty special. And if you can't make it out there live, go to our yeah. website and you can watch it live streaming and you can see the cars cross the block, correct? Yeah. Yeah. It It's just, just I mean, if, like I said, the first 18 cars, 100 million, we still have what, 100 and uh, 52 of them left to go after that. Uh, and I, we do hold, I believe, the record for the largest automotive auction ever. It was at Monterey, I think, in 2015. I think that was about 130-some oh, million. And uh, yeah, that's going to be like the first first few hours and we're done. Right, <laughs> we'll beat right. that one. It's going to be good. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks for your time. I was hoping Gord would pop in here, but he will be popping in here shortly for uh for my next interview, which will be the Mega Monterey. You'll hear Gore talk about that incredible Porsche 917. Yeah, wow. And as always, Ramsey, thank you so much for your help in covering these cool cars that are available for auction. So proud of you, Greg. So proud of what you're doing. Your live cast from uh, Keeneland, from the other websites. You're really taking this thing to new levels, and it's all on the backbone and the support of your avid and, frankly, quite knowledgeable listeners, Greg. Bully for you. Well done. Yeah, thank you so much, Ramsey. Thanks, my friends. Happy motoring. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast. <laughs>